0: We are uh, in a series of messages on prayer, uh, Jesus on prayer, and we're looking at some passages of Scripture that specifically deal with what Jesus had to teach about prayer. And so, uh, we're going to be, we're gonna be um, looking at some verses this morning, but um, if you're new here at Windsor Road... Um, I'm Randy. I'm privileged to be the uh, lead minister here at the church. Uh, my wife, Sarah, and I have been married 32 years. Uh, we've been here at Windsor Road uh, 27 years. And uh, our, uh, we've got two sons. Uh, our older son, Benjamin, was, I don't know, like seven months old uh, when um, we moved here. And so he's, uh, uh, you know, going to be 28 this year. And we've got a younger son, uh, Brandon, and uh, he's going to be 24 and he just started grad school. Um, when one of my boys was much younger, um, he was just kind of in a season where he was just asking for a lot of things. Okay? And so I decided to just keep track of all of his requests over a four-day period. Okay? All right. Dad, can we go to Toys R Us? Dad, when we go to Toys R Us, can we stay and you watch me play video games there? (laughs) Dad, can we get some ice cream? Dad, can I have a chocolate chip cookie dough blizzard? Dad, will you lay down with me? Dad, will you be with me? Dad, can I be with you? Dad, will you read to me? Dad, can I play with a Game Boy? Dad, can I go to putt putt? Dad, can I have pizza? Dad, can I go to monocles? Can I have cheese pizza? Can I have milk? Can I have dessert? Can I have ice cream? You'd have thought we'd starve the kids. <laughs> Dad, can I go to Steak and Shake? Dad, can I have a second supper? <laughs> Two suppers. Can I have a second one? Can I have a cheeseburger, fries, and vanilla shake with whipped cream and a cherry? Dad, can I have some dessert? Dad, can I have a chocolate chip cookie dough blizzard? Four days of that, I gave a yes to every one of those questions, okay Sarah was out of town at the time, and uh <laughs> It's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission, so' it's, you know. Heads up. But don't ever try that on me, right? So I did. I said yes to every one of those requests. And uh, why would I do that kind of a thing other than that she was out of town? Well, Jesus has a more theological reason. Jesus would say, because you're evil. That's why. Right? Right? Uh, um, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father? That's where Jesus is coming from. And, and so these requests made me think about the request that we make to God. And how will God respond when we go to him in prayer? How, what can we anticipate from God? What will be his reaction to us? What's the context? What's our relationship like when we go to God in prayer? That's the question that I want us to consider this morning, uh, and Jesus helps us with that. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13. You'll find that on page 869 of your church Bibles And Jesus in this passage of scripture helps us understand who God is and how we how he responds to us when we go to him in prayer. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And I've got to stop there and just really challenge us as the people of God. Am I praying in such a way that people might get curious about the God that I pray to? Am I praying in a way that would lead others in my life to wonder how to pray as well. Because there's just something. Between you and God. That you know, I want in my relationship with God. Teach me. That's what the disciples were doing with Jesus. Lord teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples. And he said to them when you pray. Say father hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And Lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you. Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence. Impudence. Look at the footnote. Footnote says persistence. We're going to talk about that word in just a minute. All right? He will rise and give him whatever he needs. How are we doing? Good. Thumbs up. Yay, God. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is God's word. So in these verses... Jesus introduces us to a prayer. He's been asked to teach his disciples, you know, how to pray, and so he talks about this prayer. Uh, And that prayer is that's the easy part. That's Luke's version of uh, the Lord's Prayer and Matthew chapter six. We're going to actually go through the Lord's Prayer next Sunday, but Luke gives an abbreviated version of the Lord's Prayer. But then, but then. Jesus wants to explain how God responds to us when we go to him in prayer. And so he tells this parable that we'll consider. And then after the parable, there's this this promise that we can expect. And that's what we'll see in verse 13. So we'll look at this prayer. And then that will lead us to this parable that we'll unpack. And then we see this this, uh, climactic promise that Jesus gives to us. And, and, and let me just cut to the chase on the promise portion of it. Uh, there's a quote that I found this week. I, I think it's really profound, and um, I want to share it with you, and I just want, to, I want you to sit in it for just a moment here. It's by Tim Keller. It's his book on prayer. And this is what Tim Keller, he's a pastor at a church in New York City. Tim Keller once said, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything He knows. God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything He knows, okay? If I knew everything God knew, my prayers would change. Both my, both my praises and my requests, my petitions, you see. That's so, so Jesus is Jesus is going for the truth that God is good. He is good. He's a good, good father. God is good, his gifts are good. So ask. Ask. God is good, his gifts are good, ask. God is good, his gifts are good, ask. Jesus introduces us to the primary relationship that God wants us to understand with him. And it's the very first word in this prayer in verse 2. It's the word Father. Father, I can't overemphasize this enough. God himself says in Second. Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So God wants our primary relationship to be that of a father child relationship. And uh, I need to hear that over and over again because it's so easy for me to succumb to what I would call CEO Christianity where I see God as the CEO employer and he has for me a job description of his expectations. And like any employer in a relationship to an employee, there's two prime directions. Show up and perform. Show up and perform. And and. Perform efficiently and even more efficiently and even more efficiently the next year. Do more, try harder, do more, try harder. Show up and perform. And at the conclusion of your lifetime of showing up and performing, there will be a performance review. Yeah. <laughs> and under the CEO Christianity model, well, if it's a good review, woohoo, yay. But what if it's not? Oh that's a different story. See. That is that CEO Christianity. And that's not biblical Christianity. That's not a life-changing community passionately pursuing Christ Christianity. It's not. God says, "I want I want to know you as a father and you're my child." For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So God doesn't decide uh, his relationship on you on the basis of your performance. That's not Christianity. He doesn't have a relationship with you because you're good. He has a relationship with us because he's good. And I'm thinking of the father of that 21-month-old little boy who has, um, you know, an, an, has has an ear infection, and who has, uh, you know, asthma and whose nose runs like a faucet. And uh, when that daddy comes home, that little 21-month-old squeals, Daddy, daddy picks him up, and he sneezes at point-blank range, and, and, and he slimes his dad's shirt. But that dad doesn't care, because that's his little guy. That's his little man. And then that, that earthly father remembers that he has a heavenly father And that earthly father, though he be sick with sin, he is loved with an everlasting love, adopted into the family because of the elder brother, Jesus. And we can cry out, Abba, a term of endearment. Dear Father, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. Now that's good news. With all respect, um, Islam does not know of Allah as father. Uh, Sarah and I have several Muslim friends. They have never referred to their relationship with Allah as Abba, father. It's, it's just not there. You know that, In fact, that would, that would be blasphemous to them, you see. But to those of us in Christ, those of us who are Christians, that's, that's our heart's desire. That's why we were created. We were created for a relationship with our Father. And that's been brought to us by the elder brother Jesus Christ. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so it's in that context that we can pray. And remember last week when we talked about you know, if you're learning how to pray or you're feeling distracted about prayer, you want to know where to start in your prayer life, then pray the Bible, Don Whitney's book, Praying the Bible. And so we would take verses 2, 3, and 4. Father, Father, you are a good Father. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed means holy, extraordinary, uh, 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 unlike any other. In a category all your own. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Father, I want your desires to be done. I want your will to be done. I want, your, I want more of you and less of me. That's what I want. That's what I ask for. That's what I pray happens. Give us each day our daily bread. That's from Proverbs chapter 30 verses 8 and 9. Where the Proverbs writer says, Oh Lord, don't make me too rich. And don't make me too poor. Just give me what I need. Uh, If if I'm too rich, then I'm liable to forget you. If I'm too poor, I'm liable to accuse you. Just give me what I need for the day. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. I am a weak and needy man. And I, I need protection. I need help. I need to be, I need boundaries. Lord, establish boundaries that would be healthy for me. You see? See, that's how we pray the scripture, but it's in the context of a, a loving Heavenly Father. If you want to improve your prayer life, it begins with understanding who your Heavenly Father is. It doesn't begin with prayer technique as if you are trying to crack some sort of prayer code so that you can manipulate God to get whatever you want. It starts with knowing God as a good father who gives good gifts so you can ask, so you can ask. And that leads us to this parable that Jesus goes into in verses 5 and following. It's a parable uh, in which uh, Jesus says, Here's God's posture uh, to you when you come to him. God's posture as Heavenly Father can lead you to to come to him in, in, in bold ways. And he tells this parable beginning with the phrase, Which of you? Now whenever Jesus begins with which of you, or suppose one of you, and this happens about a half a dozen or so times in Luke's gospel, it means that Jesus is about ready to paint a picture of an unthinkable situation, Um, almost humorously unthinkable. So he'll say, which of you, if uh, you were building a tower, I mean, who builds a building uh, by just showing up and then you start digging? That's not how you build a building. Because you got to do the engineering work. you got to do the uh, architectural work. you got to get your permits. you got to get the financing. you got to get all of those things in line. See, which of you would build a building without counting the cost? Well, everybody does that. Which of you, if you had a hundred sheep and you lost one, would say, Eh, it's just one. i got 99. I'm good to go. Nobody would do that. They'd laugh when they heard Jesus say that. And so Jesus says, which of you, if you have a friend at midnight, and uh, you get up and you go next door and you start knocking on the door. What? It's me. What do you want? I need some bread. You need some what? I need some bread. What time is it? It's midnight. It's like, oh, dark 30 out. What? What? Are you bleeding? Are you hurt? No, no. wait, why, why do you want bread for? Because Pastor Randy just showed up. <laughs> he used to be my pastor when I lived in Champagne at Windsor Road. He just showed up. And he wants to stay the night. And he's hungry. And he likes bread. <laughs> he eats a lot. And when I went... Th- To the market, I forgot to get bread today. I just forgot, but I didn't even know he was coming. I just, I noticed you got some bread. I need some bread. No! I'm in bed. The kids are in bed. We're not talking about a 2,500-square-foot a house in Southwest Champaign or 1,800-square-foot house in, in Clark Park. We're talking about a one-room, little bitty room. The family's all together. It's kind of like it's a Willy Wonka, you know, room. Charlie, you know, he's, everybody's sleeping in bed together. It's the living room. It's the bedroom. It's the kitchen. It's the family room. It's all, this is one little room, and, and, and the door's closed clothes. I'm not going to get up. And everybody's laughing as Jesus is telling this because they know better. That's an unthinkable situation. You wouldn't have anybody ever say that. No. Why? Well, we're 21st century Americans who love our individualism and we love our right to privacyism and all of that. But in that day, community and hospitality And it was huge and you didn't want to make, you didn't want to come across inhospitable because that would give a reputation for the entire village that it's inhospitable and that just wasn't going to happen. And so Jesus says, uh, uh, you know, I tell you though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his, and there's that word, impudence, impudence, He will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I refer to the footnote at the bottom, persistence. And i got to tell you, I'm puzzled at why impudence or persistence shows up. Because literally, that's not the word. Literally, it's the word shamelessness. Shamelessness. You see, persistence or impudence implies that, if, that I can bend God's will by bending his ear. And I'm not so sure that's where Jesus is headed. But this word shamelessness goes back to my relationship with God, my heavenly Father. Because of his shamelessness, almost rude boldness, that kind of 21-month-old, Toddler who sneezes at point blank range in his daddy's face. Because of his shamelessness, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. That's why Jesus says, So ask. So, in other words, he's saying, Be shameless, be bold, ask, seek, knock. Jesus says, For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, and it will be opened. And, and, and then Jesus says, listen, your heavenly Father is committed to giving you good gifts because he's good. So well, you know, what earthly father, what father among you, if his son asked for a fish instead of a fish would give him a serpent? or If he asked for an egg, We'll give him a scorpion. Well, what child would ask for a scorpion? Or what child would ask for a serpent? Well, uh, a little bitty child might. Our little, our little granddaughter, Audrey, at one year of age, everything goes into her mouth. She sees something and, see, that's her world. See an object, pick it up, put it in her mouth. See an object. So, what father? Jesus says, What father would intentionally deceive his child into consuming something that could be harmful and dangerous? No, that would do that. And so, you know, a scorpion all curled up, kind of to a little one, looks like an egg. Or, or, or um, uh, some serpents back then uh, uh, looked like fish. Or in the footnote, it talks about a bread versus a stone. This is where we get the. Poem here, you see. No father would intentionally deceive their child into giving their child something potentially harmful. Only going to be what's good. So listen, listen. If you ask God for egg, he's not going to give you a scorpion. And if you ask God for a scorpion, he's not going to give you a scorpion because he's committed to giving you what's good because he's good so ask ask and then he comes to this this wonderful promise if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them? So you see, we know that God, our Heavenly Father, who is good, will give us only what is good because in Christ, He's given us what is best. And that is His Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is getting at at verse 13. God has already given in Christ the highest, most valuable, supreme gift, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit ensures that you are a child of God. The Holy Spirit guarantees your life in the new heavens and the new earth. The Holy Spirit comes alongside you to encourage you and strengthen you to become more and more like Jesus The Holy Spirit produces Christ-like qualities in your life, in my life, a bumper crop of of qualities that make you look like Christ. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit empowers us beyond our ability. When you get to the end of your rope, when you you say, I can't go anymore, God's Holy Spirit says, I can I can can take you beyond your capacity. The Holy Spirit gives you an ability to serve in the congregation, to serve others. Whether it's the gift of leadership or the gift of teaching or the gift of encouragement or the gift of administration. And the Holy Spirit, when you don't know what to pray... When you just mumble to heaven, the Holy Spirit says, mumble on. I will interpret your mumblings before the Father. If you're a Christian, your Father has given you the best and highest gift. So whatever else God gives, it'll be good because He's good. So ask, seek, go to Him. Be shameless before Him. He's your Father. He's your Father. Now, I want to just answer a question that some of you are thinking right now. And maybe it's the elephant in the room. It's the question who gets to decide what's good? I mean, how could asking for a healing not be good? How could the salvation of my marriage and family not be good? How could asking God to save my child's life not be good? How could asking God to preserve my job not be good? Why is it in Acts chapter 12, the apostle Peter is released from prison, but the apostle James is executed? Why is it that some of those in Hebrews chapter 11 are called victorious conquerors While others were literally sawed in half as martyrs. Why why is that? I mean, doesn't seem to make sense. Hmm. And that's why I mentioned a few moments ago Tim Keller's quote God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything He knows. And I don't know everything God knows. So I'm left to trust Him. And He's asking me to trust Him as His Heavenly Father. That guy who gave those requests to me over four days, when he was even younger than that, when he was 18 months old, He was toddling, toddling along, and he toddled his face into a brick fireplace hearth. Sliced his lip open. We had to go to the emergency room to get stitches. He's 18 months old. I mean, he's just wiggling and fighting and everything. And the emergency room doctor had to put him in a papoose you know, rendered him completely immobile. Arms, legs, face. That emergency room doctor then took a long needle out and numbed that cut. And then he took another needle with thread and he began to stitch him up. Now, from my perspective, I was being a good father. A good father. You know that. Try to convince him of that. I mean, he's already hurting. And then dad wraps him up like a mummy. And then a stranger starts poking him. Try to explain that, and I mean it's like it just happened yesterday. That you know, I remember looking at his eyes while he's immobile and he's looking at me, and he has that look. How could you do this to me? How could you do this to me? It's because I'm a good father. That's. What Now, will you trust your heavenly Father? Trust Him. A patient in a hospital once spent an entire night ranting and raving and swearing against God. He was in the last stages of cancer that would eventually take his life, and he cried out to God, Why have you done this to me? Why do I deserve this? And the next morning he felt so guilty because he had spent the previous night swearing at God. He called the hospital chaplain. He was certain that, you know, he would never get to heaven because of the way he behaved. That God would never forgive someone who cursed at him. And the chaplain listened and then asked something that seemed totally out of context. The chaplain asked the question, what's the opposite of love? What? What? What's the opposite of love? Hate. No, the chaplain said. You're wrong. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. Had you been indifferent to God, you never would have bothered to stay up all night ranting and raving about what's really in your heart. There's a word in our faith that describes what you did last night, and it's the word prayer. You spent all night praying. So then Jesus says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking shamelessly, boldly. Listen, more than a few times here at Windsor Road over the years, I've baptized people in the presence of their friends, and then their friends pull me aside and uh, say to me, you know, for years we have been shamelessly asking God for this moment. He is a good father. He's a good father. So pray. Pray like you're a door-to-door salesperson wedging your foot in the door. Pray like Jacob to the Lord. I will not let you go until you bless me. Pray like Job. Though he slay me, I will trust him. Pray like Abraham. The Lord will provide a sacrifice, my son. Pray, and God, our good Father, who gives only good gifts and who is most qualified to define what is good, He will give it. And we will get the bread, and we will get the egg, and we will get the fish. And you know why, don't you? Because Jesus got the stone. And Jesus got the scorpion, and Jesus got the serpent. Christianity is the only faith in the world that tells about the Father God who lost his own son to injustice. God's own son pleaded, Father, if possible, if you are willing, take this cup of suffering away from me. Don't let me die. No, not like this. And then he prayed, yet I trust you. Your will be done. I trust that you will do good even when I can't see it. Hebrews 5, 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Wait a minute. Save. Wait a minute. How could the Hebrew writers say that he was saved from death when he died on the cross? Oh, because God raised his dead body back to life. And your body and my body is going to be like his body one day in the new heavens and the new earth. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. How good is that? He's a good father. He gives good gifts. So then, ask. Amen.